Hi, I'm Shiv. And I'm Chitra. We are the co-hosts of this show, Software People Stories. We are happy to bring you stories of people associated with software as makers or consumers. In every episode, we talk to people on their own personal and professional journeys, their interests and approach to work and life in a free-flowing conversational format. We hope that you will be able to draw your inspiration from their experiences and insights. These podcasts are made possible by PM Power Consulting, who have helped individuals, teams, and organizations on their delivery excellence journeys. Welcome to this episode of the Software People Stories. Today, my guest is Sridevi Devati. Sridevi comes with 24 years of IT industry experience, of which she has spent 21 years with HCL Technologies. She has worked across quality, delivery excellence, process and estimation, consulting, pre-sales, project delivery, software development, and related areas. She has also been a trainer and consultant in quality, project management, and estimation. She is currently managing the estimation COE at HCL. She has also participated in many industry forums and also was a panel member in two recent ISMA conferences. In today's conversation, Sridevi talks about how she started as a developer and then moved to quality and then went on to establish the estimation COE. I also asked her about what has changed in the last couple of decades that she has been associated with software development, where she talks about both the technologies as well as the models for software development and some of the challenges that have continued to bother teams in the last couple of decades. We also talk about the relevance of historical data in estimation and how some of these are applicable for uncertain environments such as startups. We also dwell a little bit on how she manages work and life from an estimation perspective and how she uses art as a, both a stress buster as well as to provide motivation. Listen on. Welcome to the podcast, Sri Devi. It's been a long time since we connected, so I thought it's also be good to capture your experiences that will be useful. Uh, very recently, we kind of rebranded the show from software lifecycle stories to software people stories, because the emphasis has been on people, their experiences, what they learned, what worked for them, what didn't work for them, and then those experiences that could be useful for others. Right. So we normally start with uh, the guest introducing oneself. So if you can introduce yourself and then we can have a conversation going forward from there. Uh, yeah, thanks a lot, Shiv, uh, for having me over this uh, podcast. Uh, and I'm happy to be here and talking to you after a very long time. Uh, yeah, so I'm Sridevi Devati. I have been with HCL for past 21 years, uh, completed 24 years in IT this year. 
and uh, uh, I, I i think uh, i'm happy with uh, the way my career has been uh, with hcl i think started as a delivery person uh, in uh, you know cobol projects cobol db2 and uh, also worked on a reengineering project in java and uh, db2 then i moved on to quality when i had my first daughter uh because i want to take something which is less pressure and then i was also inclined to quality because i was part of a cmmi journey at that point in time and uh, quality has uh, i was there in quality then i moved on to quality consulting uh, as I, i think i was also a trainer by then because i'm i was pmp certified and cfps certified cfps is the uh, function point certification from ifpug international function point user group which i did in 2006 so quality and this estimation and training journey was about few years then i took up quality consulting uh, and i did a lot of consulting assignments both in uh, process side and estimation side for hcl clients and then this also gave a, a you know a foundation formed uh, the consulting part of my career formed the foundation for the creation of a function point center of excellence within hcl and which slowly evolved into a independent organization called estimation center of excellence uh, this is the coe i have been managing for the last 10 years and uh, i think this is an area i'm quite passionate about and uh, i think uh, because of the work we did in coe and uh, my interest i also had uh, an opportunity to be part of uh, two international conferences in the software measurement side isma conferences uh, one in 2017 uh, in mumbai um uh, isma 17 and the recent one uh, the last uh, um, you know uh, one and two months ago in bangalore uh, another isma conference that i was a panel member in both of this so that's uh, in a nutshell what has happened this far wonderful sri devi i think uh, you um, actually covered the entire life cycle Yeah. Being developer, re-engineering, working on you know, somebody else's code, as well as you know, quality, teaching, consulting, estimation, all that. So right. a couple of uh, you know, more of curiosity questions triggered by that. Now, first one is um, over the last couple of decades that you've been associated with software development. Right. What has changed? Yes. Um, very nice question. Actually, this is also reminding me of the topic we had. for isma 17 conference 2 months ago called industry 4.0 so i think that today the industry is referred if we really look at from starting from the uh, mechanical industry to mass production electronic industry to it so it and then if you look at it is about 40 uh, kind of 30 to 40 years now and uh, in that uh, i think a lot has changed so we okay. looked at initially the, sorry yeah I said, don't say thirty. Then I'll feel very old. I was there before IT. No, I was not pre-IT. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So this, um, uh, I think, uh, if you look at, we primarily looked at mainframes. Then there was this client-server era where we had, uh, you know, mostly, uh, you know, client-server-based applications that I worked with when I started my career. then we had internet web era i think that's when we have interacted uh, shiv i think your du delivery unit within hcl definitely had a lot of internet java internet based web applications that came in a decade ago but i think in over the last one decade there is a what do you say major change in the way we are working in the sense 
there is a lot you know a lot of automation that has happened so today you're not really doing a lot of coding manual coding you're putting together a lot of technical components than uh, manual coding and there's a lot of automation that itself has happened within the uh, software development as an area then you are also we are also mostly moving towards agile devops model right so we are most uh, more than waterfall because of the new uh, projects that we are doing in the digital and analytics because most of the applications which were in internet web era have been are getting reengineered for mobility based solutions or we are building in micro uh, microservices based architecture so most of these applications are getting reengineered and they are going through agile based development model so which also means that we from life cycle perspective technology perspective we are looking at uh, mobility cloud analytics um, you know uh, uh, social media also comes to play here so all of these put together uh, there's a lot of new things that we are doing currently uh, nice but as a consultant trainer or as a head of coe when you go and then help different teams right the complimentary question is what are some of the challenges that have remained or continue to be challenges for teams yeah i think i'll answer this specifically for estimation because that's been my expertise in the last uh, you know specialization in the 10 last 10 years yes there are some challenges which continue to be there that is you know the teams that estimate for the rfps that is the solutioning teams or the pre sales teams are typically a different set of people versus the team that actually executes the projects i think this continues to be a problem and the handover may may not happen i'm speaking this both from uh, having seen internally and a lot of reports that i read uh, externally or the you know or talk to people outside uh, other organizations also i realize that this co- problem continues to be there so one is that then at many a times the clients are asking for a fixed bid while having a you know the requirements at a very 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 high level that i think is a constant problem that we live with but people do find ways so of course as i think most organizations do we also advise people to document the confidence level of the estimate or the for example in agile we also look at the uh, clarity level story clarity index kind of a thing so things like this we build in so that we are very clear to the customer right in the beginning saying how much is the confidence level based on the kind of requirements that were given so uh, these things are there and a lot of times we also are expected to to do to do or sign in for a fixed price while ideally a tndm tndm would have been a right contractual you know um, way to go uh, especially in agile scenarios so these challenges are there and uh, of course this is more from the contracting and uh, so uh, you know rfp perspective but let's look at even if you look at the projects as we execute um what we have seen is a lot of times people are not using the standard uh, like for example let's take if path so standard sizing estimation models which have so much of historical data and benchmarks available people are not utilizing it and still there are times projects or managers are still continue to use expert based judgment which doesn't always work so those issues are there when you mentioned that you no know, technologies have changed the way uh, software is developed like agile approaches hmm. or architecture wise microservices and so on hmm. how relevant are historical databases hmm. for 
estimates or estimation using some of these newer approaches yeah i think very valid question uh, so the function points applicability of pure uh, if ifpg function points is still debatable for uh, some of the newer technologies as well as the way uh, the architectures are so until client server was there it is two layers the data part is taken care of the presentation part of it is taken care of as we moved to internet web we had about three layer or three tier architecture which is also taken care of we do have some baselines but definitely not for the newer areas like let's say i have um, you know um, uh, document um, or some uh, data warehousing component i have some of the content management uh, you know uh, applications or sometimes we have business process management pega kind of a, uh, technologies involved we definitely do not have baselines or historical data here tipco for example or uh, anything to do with big data the latest then that was uh, the uh, uh, few years ago but currently as we speak anything to do with big data mobility or to do you know if cloud based development do i have any numbers definitely not so there are two ways to address this the how we are uh, there were two parts to this one is the uh, you know how do i estimate for these new type of technologies so it probably there are a, a few different ways that we could do uh, cosmic is the second generation functional sizing metric as you definitely would have heard by now it came in 1990s much i think uh, recent compared to ifpug and um, cosmic uh, definitely would fit in but uh, only flip side is there is not much of industry reference for this model otherwise it is a tested model we have piloted used in some of the projects it definitely works well for the newer technologies only thing is you do not have much adoption and data even if i look at isbsg data that is uh, international software benchmarking software group a uh, standard sorry uh, standard group benchmarking standards group um uh, they do not have much data on this newer technologies but cosmic would work now uh, so which means that cosmic is available for newer technologies but i do not have data uh, there are broad, uh, like hcl as well as most organizations i think i heard in isma conference as well most people have developed their own models for the newer technologies whatever has happened in the last one decade okay which means like uh, for for something like a content management or a data warehousing or a middleware soa based applications in these technology areas what uh, most organizations have done is they have developed their own estimation models that's because uh, if uh, we do not have data and probably there was a difficulty in adopting because it doesn't recognize the data flow between the multiple layers in between the applications so that is where if there is a complex processing logic in the layers uh, between the presentation and the data there are multiple other layers which have complex processing logic it does become difficult to apply if uh, for uh, this reason so uh, people either have developed their own models like we did in if uh, hcl we've also called them technical size estimation models because we have Uh, defined a size estimation where i can even benchmark i mean a baseline and benchmark productivity within hcl so these are the way for estimation i think i talked about two things on this side one was how do we estimate another approach that i do think companies or organizations could do is uh, do a retrospectively go and size the uh, you know work that has been done in the past 
in any of these technology areas we could adopt ifpug or cosmic whatever uh, they think feasible and uh, definitely baseline our historical productivity so pick up closed projects and do a retrospective method that is also an approach that we could take okay uh, so for those who are not familiar with uh, a formal estimation approaches right uh, if you can explain uh, whether these techniques normally cover only the sizing mm-hmm. or do they also look at estimating let's say the um, schedules or the risks or any other things that can be estimated which may not be very clear in the beginning correct yeah so i think uh, i'll start with the ifpug fp that is in uh, function points uh, function points again is a functional sizing metric so it does look at purely the entire development or the scope of work as the functionality that needs to be delivered from the user perspective so the it is purely focusing on functionality and definitely it is only talking about what needs to be provided to the customer in terms of functionality doesn't recognize how it needs to be done so my functional size will remain constant irrespective of i'm developing in cobol or java or probably angular js today so it doesn't change the fp will still be same so uh, definitely it doesn't cover uh, many things the biggest component uh, in uh, all these uh, standard estimation methods is the productivity that is why uh, historical data plays a big role in estimation when we look at the structured methods it also makes a right it is also a right method to do it because first of all you are sizing the work and putting a boundary around it and saying how much is the work that i need to do then i will look at how part of it how part of it so is it uh, what kind of an architecture what type of technologies that i'm going to use what are the reusable components are there uh, how um, you know skilled is my team is there certain documentation expectation from my clients what is the process model what should be the release cycle so the life cycle model everything will play a role in my productivity so this productivity number most organization build their own historical data once we apply productivity on the size we get the total development effort starting from requirement analysis until your release comp release part of it so it typically has everything and um and again the everything because your productivity factor includes all of that efforts so the uh, outcome output that you get from uh, a combination of size and productivity is your total development effort normally the rest of the efforts like project overheads or let's say you have a post release support warranty and all this you have to go by certain thumb rules or some you know percentage over the overall development effort that is typically what we do and uh, in terms of the schedule uh, everything else i think it is outside these methods which each organization goes ahead and defines it and we could also utilize kokomo model uh, that is uh, it is again very old model constructive cost model uh, it comes with certain formulas as to how do you convert uh, the total effort into a number of resources uh, considering certain um, very valuable inputs in terms of uh life cycle and other elements i think kokomo could also be used for deriving two things the team size and the schedule okay what about risk yeah risk we are uh, definitely not part of these models as it is uh, we would have to estimate this separately we normally have it 
uh, you know, as a mandatory section in every estimation, uh, I would say if I have to be specific, every estimation template that we have for various types of projects, we mandate the usage, you know, documentation of risks, specifically considering the open areas or the gray areas in the requirements. And also, uh, I think as I mentioned a bit earlier, the quantifying the, um, you know, the overall confidence level of the estimate is a very, very critical uh, element in all the estimates. And uh, uh, the risk factor is also factored into the estimates. We do that. Okay. Uh, you also mentioned that uh, there is a tendency for people to go back to their experience or gut feel right. on that. Yeah. Yeah. So is there any work that is happening um, anywhere internationally or what you might have seen in conferences, etc., of bringing in some of the you know, AI machine learning and those kinds of things to understand the data, understand the patterns and try to improve the accuracy. Yes, I think I've heard this. In fact, I think this did come as a, I think, um, not a topic, but I did hear people say about this. But I don't, I mean, um, personally, I do think it's uh, not as simple as it sounds. Um, maybe uh, because of the diverse technologies, the diverse ways of, uh, you know, implementations that happen, um, maybe a bit difficult, but maybe a few years down the line, uh, maybe, yes. And uh, I do see, uh, see, um, I think one point I wanted to also mention is, um, while we talk about all this people-based approach and how, you know, learning based on uh, individual experiences the standardizations is still a very very big thing when we look at the uh, financial services sector so a lot of rfps that we come uh, we receive uh, from the global banks or financial institutions look at fp as a, even sometimes a output based pricing metric right so we have uh, there are rfps which clearly say we would want to go with uh, you know, uh, FP-based or Gartner function points. Gartner also has its own variation of function points, which is an, uh, you know, revised approach of IFPUG-FP. So that is also there. Then uh, CAST um, uh, is a tool that, you know, that is a static uh, code analyzer, which analyzes, you know, application quality in terms of non-functional requirements. This tool also has a ability to give function points. So there are uh, some of the um, financial uh, institutions have started to use FP as a metric to measure the output in projects. Or for example, some are also moving towards cosmic. So what I'm trying to say is, while we would want to still, I think probably bypass these or uh, maybe not really do this, I think there is also a mandate that comes in certain types of uh, clients that we work with in the financial services side. So we would have to use these standard approaches. Okay. See, one thing um, in Bangalore, you find is that there's a very healthy startup ecosystem. Right. Now, are some of these techniques or you know, the variables that startups need to handle mm. something that formal estimation approaches will help in? Yes, definitely. See, what is um, uh, happening is uh, uh, the keeping aside the part that I do not have a historical data right now from the industry, each organization can build its own data. See, even if I have done three to four modules or three, uh, one or two projects in a certain given technology, maybe the latest of the latest, it doesn't matter. I can still do and go and do a function points or a cosmic and baseline my productivity, correct? 
I can definitely use it. It's all about how, uh, you know, how, um, how they want to, get, you have a standard approach. See, finally, people have to, re I, I'm sure whether it is a startup, I think it is all the more important. Let me say this. It's all the more important in a scenario of a startup that they standardize their methods because probably they are working with a lot of uh, um, maybe uh, young kids who are coming into the industry right now, learning new technologies, may not have had a luxury of having an experience of a structured development life cycle like we have done in the past. So maybe they are coming with one year, two years experience, not have had a holistic experience. So I think structured method is important uh, to uh, you know uh, ensure that first of all we have a right estimate in place and it also covers all elements of risks and like we discussed earlier. Um, so this part needs to be definitely estimated for and the structured method definitely helps uh, in getting a right estimate. Okay, so based on uh, whatever you have seen over the years, right? And after the estimation is done, the plans are done. Uh, what do you think are some of the characteristics of uh, highly successful or highly productive teams, whether it is in terms of uh, technical practices or uh, maybe in a team or the people software aspects that you have yeah. seen? Yeah, yeah, I think. Um, um, See, continuous innovation is the theme or, you know, I think uh, the projects who are continuously working on improvement, self-improvement, I think always succeed there. Uh, see, not uh, the, there are times when uh, 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 they're continuously optimizing, I think, in different ways. I think uh, uh, both from SDLC lifecycle perspective or people skill perspective, there are times people adopt tools to, you know, improve the productivity of a team. Uh, there are times where the people themselves are upgrading them, you know, themselves on both from technology perspective, domain perspective. They have, I think, self-improving teams are where I think we have seen productivity. And uh, of course, uh, provided they do not have an attrition in between the change of scope and things like that. But I think um, mostly, uh, I think um, people are also, uh, I think tools, tools have play a biggest role in the productivity part of it, I would say. Okay. Now, one curiosity question is since you've been doing so much on the estimation side right. at work, how much of this spills over into your personal life? <laughs> uh, for instance, whether it is estimating uh, groceries to be bought for the week yeah. or month or anything else. Yeah, I think there are two reasons. See, it definitely influences me uh, in the sense, uh, first of all, I'm too organized for everything. That's, I think, <laughs> one thing that I have to say. So I have, I have, I, in fact, um, I have a menu for my uh, entire kitchen. That is, the, that means I, what I cook for the, every, I have a six week menu planned. I know what groceries I need on a weekly basis. Wow. It's more like it's very structured. So <laughs> I've gone to that level. So I do have. Uh, and I'm too organized. So most of the time I factor a risk and I have uh, mostly on time for everything on all my personal front as well. <laughs> Very nice. But how do, uh, how does this kind of uh, need for you know, estimation, discipline and all that uh, work with uh, the more startup or the innovative kind of teams, uh, the teams that work on those kinds of problems. Now, how do you typically engage with them or how do you explain you know, the need for being more disciplined? Right. See, um, 
I think, see, see once you have, see, there, there, I think there are two parts to this question. So, so one is, end of the day, whether it is new guys or a startup, whatever, they still have to meet the client commitments, right? The estimation has to be accurate. They should have a right contract in place, whether it should be T&M or a fixed price has to be a very good decision based on the team and the type of work and how clear are the requirements. So once that is in place, I'm sure these guys will work really well. I think I'm sure uh, the new guy, the newer generation, Gen X, whatever you want to call, they definitely want to, you know, uh, uh, prove themselves. I think I've seen uh, most of these teams work very hard to meet the, you know, uh, and put a lot of passion into the work they do. So, which is, um, the, I'm sure, uh, um, see, they are not bothered about, bothered about the estimation, right? End of the day, estimates are from the manager's side and at the, you know, at the contracting level. And once they've come into it, most projects, I, from my experience, the newer projects in this kind of an area are done in agile fashion, right? And I think agile also is quite lively. If you see, it looks at team bonding and it looks at team working together and in a self-improvement mode. I think which also works well. And as long as we have a good agile coach and uh, agile uh, the, the project lead there, I think it works beautifully as long as we have brought in the right set of people and the motivation in place there. I think estimation again is happens through the team-based approach, right? In an agile scenario, the team sits together and gives an story point, puts together a story point estimate. That way they're responsible for what they commit kind of a thing. So which is, I think, uh, works very well for the, um, the the newer scenario. Provided, I think it, uh, I, I'm, I think I have to probably <laughs> put a disclaimer here again. Uh, the team has to be strong because it becomes a people dependent model. End of the day, it becomes a lot a people dependent model. Mm, nicely put. So the uh, last question I had, again, going switching between uh, personal and uh, professional, I know that you have a very strong, not only interest, but also you've been doing a lot of uh, work related to art. Hmm. So how do these two coexist or not? Do you find that as a stress reliever or do you find that as an inspiration for your work? Uh, uh I think it, it works both the ways, but I think uh, at this point, there are two uh, two things. When I look at art, there are times when I sit and draw, draw uh, probably even in between few meetings, because I, I that's a big stress buster for me. So more freehand drawings that I do between my work. And incidentally, because, I'm a, I've bec because of a COE kind of a work I've been doing in the last 10 years, uh, there's there's not a, a, a physical team that sits with me and I'm in a one particular cubicle or a one a particular ODC that we sit. My team is always distributed. I work with a virtual team. So there does have, there are times when I feel, you know, I'm like an individual contributor because I'm like engaging with multiple teams at different points in time. So these are the gaps when I utilize also sometimes it, it's like a stress buster. I'm wor working between too many teams. So I do use it as a stress buster. And there are times it becomes motivation, like I use it for my festivals and all. I do a lot of work on decorating God. I really feel good about it. It motivates me too. Yeah. yeah good. I think uh, there is a lot of need for uh, relieving stress in the IT industry, I suppose. I agree. Yeah. Um, and uh, just, I, I don't know if you completed question, but I something coming to my mind. I think for me... Uh, I have been in lucky in a way because I moved into a SME 
individual uh, contributor kind of a role in the last few years so which does give uh, and also i came out of pure play external consulting so which gives me a little bit of um, you know uh, less stress co- as compared to a pure delivery role is what i think yeah okay so on that note uh, i think it is uh, good that we are reaching the end of time for this uh, podcast episode yeah i'm sure uh, there will be a lot of questions other views as well because right. estimation is something that uh, definitely triggers passions uh, many times right uh, so actually we, uh, i would be willing to answer any questions if someone has they should be able to send it to my email or they can connect me on linkedin and uh, i would love to answer any questions on this because uh, this area of my interest always yeah sure sir we will include uh, your linkedin uh, reference in the show notes right and uh, thanks once again for you know, taking the time and sharing uh, your experience in a very condensed manner but covering a wide range of subtopics under the broad theme of estimation as well as the work life balance thanks a lot uh, shiv for giving me this opportunity and i'm hoping that i have covered and answered the questions <laughs> Yeah thank you yeah definitely thanks devi if you like the show and would like to share your experiences with the community or know someone else who might want to do that please get in touch with us at podcast at pm-powerconsulting.com there is podcast at pm-powerconsulting.com please rate the show on podchaser stitcher itunes or any other podcast client that you find us on please also share our episodes with your friends and others in your network if you or anyone you know would like to be featured on our show do write to us at this email address podcasts at pm-powerconsulting.com